but specialize in your field of interest. Perhaps that's nursing, allied health, English, history. You decide, but find a program that has a special emphasis in that particular field. Once you've done that, and maybe that's several schools, maybe that is Pepperdine, for instance, in California, or University of Southern California, you know that they both have pre-law. So you're going to plan to apply to both. We're not going to put all of our eggs in one basket, as the saying goes. So what do you do? How do you even apply to a college? Let's type in Pepperdine for this example. Pepperdine University. Pepperdine is in Malibu, California. You're going to go to their school's website on Google. Go to their menu and it's going to it's going to give you several options. Apply, visit, give. So we're going to click apply. It's going to give a drop down menu and explain to you what their special programs and and highlighted subjects are. So we're going to scroll past all that. Let's say you've made up your mind, you know for sure you're going to you want to go to this school. So we're going to pick um, the very top one that comes on your bachelor's degrees. Which gives you a whole list, your undergraduate admission, and we're going to click on first year applicants. So how to apply? We need to first fill out the common application. So applying to Pepperdine is a multi-step process. So it's, it's going to give you this whole list of dates that you need to be aware of, when to apply, and how to apply. And it's going to give you all sorts of things if you are an international student, if you are a student um, that belongs to their particular, particular church denomination, uh, if you are a veteran, all these sorts of things. So it's going to give you all, all these options. But your first thing, before you get all bogged down and be like, whoa, you just said so many things, we need to fill out an application. What you're going to need is a reliable email address that you can check and not something crazy like beachsurfergirl100 at hotmail.com. Use something that sounds professional, preferably something with your first and last name or maybe your first initial with your last name. You can keep your other email for all that junk mail or corresponding with friends if anyone uses email to do that anymore. But you need a professional sounding email for this college application. You'll thank me later. So you need your email, you're gonna make a password. You sign in. Next it's gonna ask you a series of questions such as your current physical address that is for mail that they might send you, maybe a college catalog with a list of courses and other marketing uh, materials that they're going to send to this physical address. You don't have to give your own address if you either don't have one or you don't feel comfortable giving that out. You can give out a P.O. box or a friend or family member's mail address that you can reliably get mail from. This is important because they might be sending you things in the mail. So you're going to need a good email address and a good mailing address. Also, any particular pieces of work or or awards you've won in high school thus far, or if you're a few years out of high school, maybe a letter of recommendation from an internship or a job. Those things you wanna have at the ready so you can reference dates, places, years, all those things in this college application. You're gonna need your first and last name, 
probably your social security number or passport number if you are not a U.S. citizen. Your green card number if you have one of those if you're not a U.S. citizen but you're here on a, on a green card visa. Those are the things you're going to need for any general college application. Now, once you've gotten through this preliminary information, it's going to start asking you more specific questions. What major do you want to declare? When are you planning on beginning enrollment? Will you live at the college? Are you going to live off campus? Are you going to apply for financial aid? If you don't know the answer to those questions right now, the best course of action is to always apply for more than what you think you'll need. What I mean by this, if you're not sure if you're going to live on campus or off, say you will live on campus and you will be needing financial aid. Best case scenario, you won't need those things. But just in case you don't want to back yourself into a corner by not having all the appropriate information filled out. Once you've completed this, you've turned in your general application, things get a little bit more complicated, but that is your first step. Now, FAFSA, our beast. This is what we're gonna tackle today. FAFSA application. I have helped so many of my students fill these out over the years, and we're gonna tackle this today once and for all. FAFSA stands for the Free Application for Federal Student Aid. So it's actually pretty dope. It's a free application to get free money from the government and to also be able to apply for private and federal loans later on down the road. So we're going to go to studentaid.gov. This is where the FAFSA lives and breathes. Again, you're going to need that professional email address and a few more key pieces of information. So we're going to start here. It says new to the FAFSA process. Completing the FAFSA form is free. Fill it out now. Why do you want to fill out the FAFSA before you've officially accepted going to any particular school? Well, a lot of these schools are going to ask if you filled out the FAFSA as you move along the application process. They want to know how many students they're getting that will be receiving federal funding. This is important for the college for a variety of reasons that you don't need to worry about right now. But let me tell you, it makes it a lot easier for the colleges to accept you if you are on the database for filling out FAFSA. That's one less thing they have to worry about. So it will help you in the long run, personally, and for getting into the school of your choice. So we're going to start here on fafsa.ed.gov after you you transfer away from the studentaid.gov website. You are going to select, I am the student on the page. You're gonna need a lot of information here. So this is what's important. You're gonna need your email address and you are going to need a social security number. If you don't have that, if you do not have a social security number, there are other options. There's drop down information that you can fill out according to your unique situation. Like I said before, passport numbers, um, visas, all those things. So this website is going to take you through a variety of questions that are going to seem a little complicated. So you might want to have some of this information on hand beforehand. So we're going to go through that information. Your legal first, middle, and last name. So not the name maybe that you go by or if you have a step parent or an adoptive parent, 
whatever is on your birth certificate, if you've not legally changed your name, that is the name you need to put on your FAFSA. Sorry, guys. I will get, I will get through saying that. That is that's a challenging word. Your F A F S A. Your FAFSA. You need your legal first, middle, and last name. You need your social security number, the entire number. If you don't know it, you need to contact whoever does. So maybe a parent, a guardian, grandparent, school counselor, whoever's got that information for you, you need to acquire that. You're also going to need to know if your parents, if you are under the age of 18 and your parents provide for you more than 50% of the time and more than 50% of your finances, you're going to need their tax information. If you are living away from home or you are a, an emancipated minor or you're over the age of 18 and you provide more than 50% of your own expenses, that's a whole different ballgame. But let's say you are 17, 18, 19, still live at home. You need this information from your parents because the FAFSA wants to know how much money your parents made in the last year. They want to know how much they need to allocate. If your parents are paying for you to go to college, how much money you are eligible for. And this actually is a really helpful tool from FAFSA because you might think, oh wow, my parents make a lot of money, but they're calculating out taxes, they're calculating out all the federal withholding and figuring out how much, based on what your parents have made, they can allocate to you. So it's actually, it's actually a really helpful system for you, the student. And it can help prevent you from over-withdrawing on student loans that you may not need if you had filled out the FAFSA correctly. So you need that number. So let's say your parents' gross income for the previous year was $75,000. That's the number that you need to put in to the, the, the line on the FAFSA that asks how much your parents made on last year's tax report. So that's some information you're gonna need from your parents. If you are an emancipated minor or if you are not living at home and you pay for more than 50% of your expenses and you have filed taxes before, you're gonna have that information on your W-2s on your tax return. But I'm guessing that most of you listening to this in this unique situation going to college for the first time are not in that boat. Some other information that FAFSA is gonna want from you, again, is now you really do have to put a permanent physical address. So not your, not your buddies, not your, not your school that you go to, but what is your permanent physical address? If you are a boarding school student, that might be your school. If you have a guardian or someone who is responsible for you, such as a sponsor, if you're an international student, that is the, the address that you would put. All right, so we've got our, our professional email address. We've got our social security numbers or visa numbers. We've got um, our FAFSA filled out tax-wise now they're going to ask you some more questions such as are you disabled do you have an, an american disability act recognized disability such as are you in a wheelchair are you hearing or visually impaired such questions such as that to this is kind of to help regulate where funding gets spent so a certain amount has to go to people with disabilities according to the ada 
So if this is you, you're going to select uh, one of these options. If it's not, you're going to skip and select does not apply. The next question it's going to ask is, are you a veteran? Are you the child of a veteran? Is someone in your home an active military member or veteran? You'll know the answers to those. A veteran is someone who is a US citizen who has served in the US military. If you're not a citizen, you don't need to worry about this question. If you are a citizen and you're not sure if your parents have served in the military or you know that they did 20, 30 years ago, does that make them a veteran or an active service member? Well, you'll need to ask. They might be in the reserves. They might be um, retired. They might be a veteran. You need to figure out more information. So this might be a phone call. This might be an email to your parents to figure out or your guardians or your, your caregivers what their military status is. So now we've moved through the FAFSA, gotten most of the questions out of the way. Okay, what about those wild card questions that you did not see coming, very specific to your situation? FAFSA is going to collect a lot of data and information to figure out how best to help you and to allocate funds. This is all about rules, regulations, and laws that the people in the government, in the federal student aid department have to follow. It is in your best interest to answer these questions as truthfully as you know how. So if you do not know the answer to a question, instead of saying, oh, I think my parents made $5,000 last year and they really made 50, exit the FAFSA, save, exit and come back to it later. You don't have to fill this out all in one go. Exit the FAFSA, go find the information, come back to it in a day, a week, a month, whatever you need to do. Traditionally, the, the date that you need to have your FAFSA in is March 2nd, the year before, or the, I guess the spring before you enter college. With coronavirus, with COVID, those deadlines have become very flexible. So you're gonna need to take it on a state-by-state basis and figure out what works best for you. Um, we're gonna cut it short here. I will come back on when we get to uh, a little less turbulence on this, this bus ride. I hope this information has been helpful. Again, if you have questions, if you're thinking, Mrs. Zell, I don't, I don't really understand this still. Shoot me a message on Instagram, TikTok, at the Millennial Mrs. L. I'd be more than happy to walk you through this personally, to give you some more resources, and to help you figure out how to get to college, how to pay for college, how to figure out your FAFSA. When I come back, we're gonna start talking about student loans and private loans, what the difference between federal and private loans are, and how to apply for them. And we are back. The turbulence has died down a bit. I think we're on a little bit smoother roads. Um, fun story. Not really a story. Fun fact. Um, when the hubs and I first moved to Oregon, we were like blown away by how smooth the roads are here. Like when there is potholes or kind of rough roads, it's still kind of shocking because coming from California, the roads here are like crisp kept very nice i mean obviously there's way less traffic and less population in general but oregon's really uh doing something right with the roads so 
Big shout out to Oregon Transportation. They're not listening, but if they were, good job, guys. <laughs> um, so we are talking about college. We're talking about FAFSA, filling out applications. Now we are going to move on to applying for financial aid. A lot of people are reluctant to go to college for a variety of reasons. And it's understandable because college has become exponentially more expensive than it was in your older sibling's generation, your parents' generation, and your grandparents' generation. It used to be, you know, a couple hundred dollars a year or a couple thousand dollars a year to go to college. Now, you are looking at a price tag of tens or hundreds of thousands, depending on the degree and field of study that you, that you pursue. So how can anyone really consciously and conscientiously go to college with this hefty price tag? This is where applying for financial aid, scholarships, uh, student loans comes in because most people don't have 40, 50, 60, 70, 80,000 dollars just sitting in a bank account somewhere. If you do, good on you. I mean, maybe maybe you should be making a podcast about this. Um, but if you are like most Americans, uh, you do not. You do not have the money sitting around. But that does not mean you can't go to college. That does not mean you can't have the opportunity for a higher education. We're going to start with some really basic ways if you are super budget conscious and the, the hefty price tag is really getting you down. My number one tip for any of you out there who are really just concerned about the cost of higher education. Starts with a J, junior college. Junior college is often overlooked. Um, it's kind of looked down on and it's sort of, something that most people don't look at they kind of think it's passe but let me tell you junior college is an excellent excellent way to start out your college career junior college often has professors that have been in the business for a long time they know their stuff and you're going to be able to get into their classes a lot easier than at some of the larger public universities so junior college even for a few semesters or a year will save you literally tens of thousands of dollars. Like so much money, you guys. So if you are in any kind of situation where you can maybe stay at home, live with friends, family, host family, whatever, and go to junior college for a year, you're going to save a lot of money. Now, I actually don't recommend junior college unless someone is really financially just super concerned or maybe unable to even consider going to a four-year university or college. Junior college has a variety of benefits because in the particular American education system in which most of you listening are a part of, when you begin your college career, everybody takes the same classes. I'm talking English 101, I'm talking uh, Earth Science, maybe PE, um, great books. There's just a lot of college classes that no matter what your field of study is, 
or your ultimate career, you're going to be taking the same classes. So getting those out of the way at a junior college, you're paying a much lower price tag for the same classes and sometimes for a better quality of education, especially if you're going to, if you're planning on going to a giant public university where it's harder. <laughs> I don't know if you guys can hear in the background. We've got a little maestro singing. Um, if you have some classes that you know you really want to get into, such as AMP, Anatomy and Physiology, but you are just really worried about the, the giant university you're planning on attending, you've heard stories of people sitting on the floor or standing in the back because they can't fit in the class or maybe not even getting in the class at all and having to delay their graduation by months or years because of certain classes. Taking those classes at a junior college often means a better grade overall because you get more attention from the professor and you actually get into those classes. So junior college definitely has its perks. Um, I think one of the best things you can do for yourself is applying to at least one junior college, even if you're not planning on it, um, for sure. Just kind of have it in your back pocket in case something falls through and you kind of need to save up for that, that bigger university for another year. Okay, junior college aside, how else are you going to afford this, uh, this higher education that you are trying to pursue? My second tip also starts with a J. J-O-B, job, get yourself a job. Uh, now more than ever, young people are able to make money on the side while they are going to school, while they're living their lives, working on your computer, working from home, social media, working with brands. I mean, the sky's the limit these days, but just classic jobs like babysitting, house cleaning, being a gas station attendant, a waitress or a waiter, working at Starbucks, Dutch Brothers, so many places that you can work to earn money. Earning money from a job is going to help you first, obviously, make money, and second, establish yourself with a bank account, some sort of savings fund that you can kind of fall back on during this application and transition process from high school to college. There are a lot of expenses that financial aid and scholarships don't account for, such as gas to and from school, uh, moving expenses, books sometimes are not covered depending on your financial aid package, different things that you maybe don't think about. It's really nice to have a little bit of extra cash on hand to cover those, those additional expenses. The third thing is getting back on that Google and looking up scholarships. Scholarships are free money, friends. Scholarships are financial aid, uh, financial rewards that you do not have to pay back. They are not loans, they are not Pell Grants, uh, which we will talk about in a minute. The scholarships are pots of money that are sitting in different funds waiting for people to collect them. So a way that you can find a scholarship, let's say you are a musician and you're going to school to learn piano or voice or violin, you name it. You can specifically go to Google and type in scholarships available for students learning 
pick your musical instrument of choice. When you apply for scholarships, you're going to have to give some information. You should never have to give your social security number, um, credit card information, none of that. Those are scams. But you're going to have to give your name, address, those kinds of things. And often you will have to write an essay. Why do you deserve this scholarship? Or why are you applying for the scholarship? Or why are you going into the field of study that you're going into? All these questions help to narrow the field amongst the scholarship applications. And then, you know, a board, a panel, a pool of people decide who gets the scholarship money. Being honest about why you need the scholarship money is important. But don't make it all about the money. You're pursuing a higher education to learn, to grow, to become a more dynamic and interesting human. So, in your scholarship applications, picking your specific field, your specific interests will help kind of narrow, weed out the other people, the other applicants, and narrow down so that way you get this money. When I was in college, I was able to be a part of uh, the Women in Ministry Scholarship Fund, and myself and a classmate both received huge $10,000 scholarships because guess what? We're the only ones that applied for it. Out of over a thousand people, we are the only two who applied, so we got the money. Sometimes scholarships work like that. The money is sitting there waiting for you to ask for it. The next thing that is such a huge help when going to a four-year college or university are Pell Grants. Grants, well, grants in general, but Pell Grants specifically are from the federal government. And a grant is money that you do not have to pay back. They're not like a loan. They're money that you apply for, receive, similar to a scholarship, often without having to go through the rigmarole of writing an essay or explaining why you need it or want it. But a grant is money you do not have to pay back Certain universities have their own private grants. Certain banks or firms have grants for an allotted number of students each year. But Pell Grant is something that anyone can apply for at the federal level. This is something you do through FAFSA, through student aid. And Pell Grant can sometimes amount up to $15,000, $20,000, $5,000, $10,000, depends on your unique situation and state. So look into that based on where you live. Other forms of grants are state grants. A really common one is Cal Grant, based upon how much money you or your parents made in the last year. But other states have grants that, again, they're just waiting to give the money to people who apply. So don't cut yourself short. Start researching based on your unique school and situation, all the grants and scholarships and opportunities to get free money. When you're applying for these things, it's always great to have a resume or a curriculum vitae, a CV on hand, because a lot of these places want to know where their money's going to, who their money's going to, is this person somebody that's going to make good use of this money. So when you're applying for a private grant or scholarship, having a curriculum vitae, if you're still in school, so those are all the classes and accomplishments that you have done while in school and a resume often includes work experience internships and jobs that you've had it never hurts to to ask a few people to write you either letters of reference or recommendation of course instead of just sending the link from the the university's website 
or scholarships website to this person with no explanation. It's really good manners and good practice to call this person on the phone. I know, phone anxiety is a real thing. Call this person and say, hey, Mr. or Mrs. or professor or teacher or neighbor, could you give me a letter of reference or recommendation or could you give me a recommendation for this scholarship program, for this grant, because I want to go to school and here's why. I'd really appreciate it. Even if that's a voicemail, it's really, it really shows the person that you're asking to give this of their time and energy that you mean, that you mean business, that you are being considerate of them and their unique situation. And it's really good habit to get into as you enter the professional world. So you've figured out what you need to apply for scholarships, grants. Now you need a letter or an essay that you've written about why you're pursuing this particular field of study. You need an essay of interest or a personal essay of interest, meaning why are you pursuing this? Why are you trying to get into this nursing program? Why do you want to go to culinary arts school? Tell the people that you are applying to their program. Explain to them why you want this and what you're going to do with it to change the world. How are you going to improve the world around you if accepted into this program? It doesn't have to be long. Most schools, colleges, scholarship programs have certain criteria anywhere from 500 to 1500 words. You might even ask a friend or a loved one to read through it and sort out spelling errors, grammatical errors, those kinds of things to really showcase that you can write professionally and informationally to these programs. Okay, I've waxed poetic about all the things that you need to do to get free money. Now, how do you get money that you're gonna have to pay back, AKA a loan? How do you get student loans? You've heard about them. You've heard people complain about paying them back, but how do you get a loan that's going to serve you in the long run by giving you the education that you need, but not something that is going to take years of your life and energy to pay back? Obviously, you can seek the assistance of a wise elder in your family, maybe a school counselor, a parent, a grandparent, and see if someone will be a co-signer for your loan. This is the quickest way to get uh, a private or federal loan of a large amount. Let's say you're going to medical school or you know you're trying to get into a private university and the tuition is very high. Co-signers on your loan, this is a tricky, this is a tricky one because they are responsible if you do not pay your loan back and then you're in default, the loan is now their responsibility. But having a co-signer will allow you to have a greater amount of credit or a greater amount of money allowed on your loan. If you can get a grandparent or a parent who's willing to help you be responsible to pay this loan back, that's a great option financially for you. Of course, you need to look into this, figure it out. Different different uh, budgeting gurus have different opinions about this. So you need to do what is works for you and your family. The next thing you can do is apply for student loans that have a low interest rate. Certain loans are spe- that are specific for um, students 
you will find on studentaid.gov different federal federal programs that allow for low interest rate over many years and also programs such as for teachers doctors people who go into the military for loan forgiveness so you might not ever have to pay back this loan if you go into certain industries you're going to want to look into that when you get to your university or college typically you will be able to go to the financial aid office and apply for these loans through the financial aid office they will walk you through each process and they will help you sign your master promissory note so a master promissory note is something that is a legally binding contract between you and the loan giver aka the federal government or the bank or private industry that you have acquired a loan from that's going to look different for everybody it's going to look different based on the loan that you get and the amount some loans are as little as a thousand dollars for the year some are as big as fifty thousand dollars for the year and it all depends on your school your need and how you acquire this loan so you're going to want to look at the fine print do not sign anything until you read it even if it takes you half an hour to read this even if people are tapping their fingers on their desktop and they are asking you to hurry up you do not need to sign any documents until you have completely read and understand if you need more help with this you can always seek the help of a financial aid counselor or a, a solicitor a lawyer somebody that is versed well in student loan jargon or someone in your family who has been to college and understands the, the seriousness of taking out student loans. Student loans are an excellent way to be able to finance your, your higher education, but they do come with side effects, risks, um, concerns if you are unable to pay back those loans. So you're gonna wanna find somebody who can explain this well to you. You're gonna wanna read through all the fine print before you sign the master promissory note. And you're gonna to wanna to understand that even though you have a six month grace period after you graduate, you're going to need to keep up with your loan documentation and keep on track of due dates, forbearance, all those sorts of things even after you graduate. So we've made it through grants, scholarships, federal student aid, FAFSA, applications, loans, we've made it the whole nine yards. Let's talk military. Let's talk about a free and clear education. That is still a thing today when you join the US military. There are so many branches of the military. And again, this is a very personal decision that you, family members, friends, and God need to make. Some people join the military because they are interested in whatever branch they join, such as the Army, the Navy, the Marines, the Coast Guard, the National Guard, etc. But don't just join for a free education. That's not what I'm recommending here. I'm, I'm simply presenting it as an one option amongst many. If you're considering the military in some form, and again, that includes National Guard and Coast Guard, so those are branches of the military that do not fight in combat, uh, you have a whole plethora of options available to you for student aid and free education. If, if student loans or finances are hindering you from getting an education, you might be able to join 
again, the Coast Guard, the National Guard, one of the branches of the military, the reserves, and be able to go into a specialized field in which you can get the higher education that you want, deserve, and need, and also have the U.S. government fund it. This comes with risks as well as benefits. So let's say you join the Army and you want to be a computer engineer. They will have you go through your course of study and work for an allotted amount of time, two, four, six, eight, whatever your contract with the Army, that branch of the military is. And when you're done with your contracted time and you've retired from the military, you you can go on to another career. You can use that degree that you acquired during your time in the military in civilian life. It's a great option for people who are already considering joining a branch of the military. And it's a great option for people who maybe have never thought about it, but want to know more. I recommend going to Navy websites, Army websites, Marine websites, National Guard, Coast Guard, and figuring out more, figuring out if that's something you're interested in, and asking for more information. You can always go to a recruiting office and ask your questions, or you can apply online and ask for more information. If you have questions, definitely ask before you sign any contract because military contracts are serious, legal, binding, and you can't get out of them. So before you just say, I'm going to get me a free college degree through joining the military, know your stuff, read up on it, but it's definitely an excellent option for those who are already considering it or maybe who, who would like more options for their college and higher education Welcome to a new and improved podcast, Ask Her Anything. I'm the her. Ask me any questions you might have. First, we're going to tackle college questions, then questions about consent, mental health, adulting, and so much more. Consider me your big sis or mom you never had. I'm going to give you some life advice I wish I'd had back when I was a 20-something or a teenager, and I hope this podcast is super helpful. You can always reach out to me over on Instagram or TikTok. The brand is changing to Ask Her Anything, and I hope that you find the answers you're looking for. 